All right. Good morning. Hey, we're small, but we're mighty, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, it's kind of one of those little cozy, just uh, all gather up around the fireplace and have ourselves a good little study of, of God's word today. All right. So the, the teaching this morning, I've, uh, I put the title on it. Sometimes it's kind of tricky to get a title, uh, but I, I think what we want to talk about is the mind of Christ but we know how wonderful that is. Uh, Paul t- tells us in this uh, text in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, that to have this mind in us. So let this mind be in you and let that be our uh, prevailing thought as we all rise here as, our, uh, as we do as our custom to honor the Lord in the reading of his word from the book of Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, being united in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death, on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah and amen. You may be seated. That's exciting stuff. All right, um, as we get moving here, it's always important to lay the context out a little bit. And so this is not to imply the context of the whole letter of Philippians. If that were the case, uh, we'd probably be here all day, kind of like we were last Sunday. Uh, Some of you were here, you'll know what I'm talking about. All right, but this context is for us that helps fit with the, the, the spirit of the message of let this mind be in you. Um, this is one of Paul's prison epistles. It was written around A.D. 60, and Paul, obviously, uh, being a prison epistle, Paul was confined in prison for that thing Paul does so well, preaching the gospel, which caused, ruffled a lot of feathers. That's not too far different today. In the letter, there's this air of thanksgiving for their support and uh, you see that this runs out through, throughout. In chapter 4, Paul said this thanksgiving, and this goes really hand in hand uh, with the message of the baskets for uh, the children uh, at Atterbury from Afghanistan. These gifts were so substantial, and they're gifts in plural. If you'll go to uh, chapter 4 later today, if you wanted to look that up, you'll find he says gifts in plural. They were sent through Ap- Aphrodite, who was an envoy, from the Philippian church. They sent this uh, gifts through him to Paul. And Paul says, 
I have all I need and more. That's the kind of baskets that we want to, uh, to prepare for people, right? All they need and more. So next we turn to the theme, this is a recurring theme of joy and rejoicing, but not just any joy and rejoicing. We can joy and rejoice all the time, and, and we do, but this isn't a football game and a touchdown or anything else. This is joy and rejoicing through suffering. You know, sometimes we just struggle in general to not be grumpy. And um, Paul is completely on the far end of that. He unswervingly uh, demonstrates a genuine rejoicing, even considering all that he had been through. You might say, too, that Philippians is famous. It's notable for being highly quotable. Right? We all know this one um, where I can do all things. Right? Through Christ who strengthens me. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. But among all of that, because of the goodness uh, of it and the joy and the thanksgiving, those kind of seem to overshadow something else that's happening here. There's this undertone, sometimes an overtone of, of, of quipping, of being selfish, maybe um, arguing. Paul says in this letter, um, throughout the letter, that uh, if you have any encouragement, that was in our master text, remember how this opened? It's almost as though he's pleading with them about something. If you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being like-minded. The strong inference is something's happening in the church and they weren't really being like-minded. Do everything, Paul said, without complaining or arguing. And then later in chapter 4 and verse 2, um, he urges two believers, I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, but he urges two believers to agree with each other in the Lord. So we see that there's something going on. That's why in our context, we have our core text. The Holy Spirit is so wonderful here. If we want to get our minds off of the petty differences and off of ourselves, then what better way than to throw the scene over to the work of Jesus Christ? Because when we look at the big picture, these little problems that we have among ourselves, they pale in comparison. As a matter of fact, they probably count um, for nothing. In this, too, if you, in, the, in the original language, the text here has this rhythm uh, about it. If you were to read it in Greek and read it out loud and hear it, it's a poem. It's got that structure. And then the church tradition on top says, hey, this isn't just a poem. This is, this is a song. This was the, one of the first Christian hymns ever composed. And I just think it's so wonderful how the Holy Spirit will work through someone, his minister Paul, and say, you know, poetry and music seem to have a really calming influence upon people. And they also evoke the, the emotional. Right? I don't know. Sometimes here, just in the worship with the music, 
my heart gets touched and you know I start blubbering right out right out here in front that's why I said up front so um, the people behind me can't see what's what's happening up here right so praise the Holy Spirit in this text we're gonna find this theme and this is the theme for today and we'll move right on into it um, service surrender service and sacrifice are three elements of the mind of Christ that are very present in today's text. And by the way, if you visit and you have a bulletin, you'll see the blanks. Um, generally on the slide, I'm not, don't get it right all the time, but I'll try to underline those parts that go in the bulletin that are blank. Surrender, service, and sacrifice. Now on these three, the lines kind of blur. I mean, admittedly, they kind of move in and out of each other. They kind of cross over each other, but there, there is a pattern here. And I, that will become more clear as we go along. The pattern is, it starts with surrender. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something um, to be grasped. Your Bible probably says something different. This is the Berean Study Bible. The New King James Bible will say robbery. NIV may say something different. And the reason for that is the Greek word behind that translation is harpagamos. It's only used one time in the New Testament. And so that accounts for the difference in the phrasing or the difference in translating of the word. But I think of all the translations that I've read, the New Living Translation has the right spirit here. The New Living Translation translates verse 6. So you can see verse 6 is, is here. New Living says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. But no matter which version you have, whether NLT or which, all the roads lead to this one place. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This is the clear teaching of the Bible. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus said of himself, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It can't get much clearer than that. Yet, notice here, it says that Jesus emptied himself, meaning that he laid aside his divine privileges and the glory that went with it to go on a special mission. Isn't that what soldiers do? They, they lay aside their house, the farm, the milkshakes, and they go, they get on the bus, and they go to serve. They go on a special detail. Jesus set aside all of his privileges. He went on a mission of illumination and salvation. And it would cost him and his father very dearly, as we all, all know so very well. So it bears repeating, this is the foundation. Jesus is God. Yet Jesus laid aside his privilege in glory of God to the praise of his holy name. In this, we see that God 
the Son surrendered. And what was it that God the Son surrendered when he emptied himself? The thing that Jesus surrenders is that oh-so-precious commodity, his will. In his own words, in John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, God the Son, surrendered his will to God the Father. And that's where we find power. That's the power of unity. That's the power of the united will of God the Son and God the Father. Jesus was with God and was God from eternity past. He had everything. He had it all. He laid it aside in order to do the will of his Father. And in showing this, Paul is instructing us that the mind of Christ requires the same thing from us. Surrender of our own will to the will of God, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not mine. When Jesus walked the earth, he walked the talk like no other human being ever. And following close behind him was the Apostle Paul. Paul tells us that he's so confident in his walk with Jesus Christ that he tells the Philippians in, in, in Philippians 3, he says, join one another in following my example. If you don't know how to surrender yourself to, to God, how to give your will, follow my example. That's what he says. So where, where do we see this in the life of Paul? Well, Paul had a will of his own. If you know the early story of the book of Acts, Paul was a stubborn individual. He was set on his own mission. Now, mind you, I'm saying it's his own mission. And he was good at it. Frightfully good at it. In Galatians 1.14, Paul reminds us in that passage, he says, I was advancing in Judaism. That was his career. It was his religion too, but there wasn't much difference back in Palestine in those days. Those things were, were very synonymous. Paul was advancing and he was ahead of the competition, he said. Galatians 1.14. He was leading the pack and he was on his day to one day being promoted to probably his prize of being on the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And man, when you did that, you had it. That was kind of equivalent to the Senate, the United States Senate for us. And that's where Paul, he was on his way. He was a rising star. Not the kind in Hollywood to be sure, but he was, he was on his way to being the next big thing. He had to look forward to a lecture circuit and book signing deals and speaking gigs all over the place. He was going to live in a world of prestige. Paul even had a pedigree. He provides his pedigree in Philippians chapter three and verse five. He says there of his pedigree, which is sort of his resume at the same time. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, 
persecuting the church. As to righteousness in the law, faultless. That was Paul's will and desire to, to move on and advance. But the Lord had a different plan for Paul. Who do you think had the better plan? Now today, this is a good time for me to pause. I've been just as stubborn as Paul. Not exactly in the same way or same means. But man, I'm a piece of work. And uh, some of you may be thinking the same thing. I'm in my mid-50s. I say that. I'm 57 because I don't want to say I'm in my late 50s. I think I give, <laughs> give myself a little edge there, right? All right? But you may be thinking what I'm thinking. Oh, my goodness. I looked in the mirror. How long has time gone on? And I'm sure God had a different plan for my life than the one I chose for myself. Well, you know what? Just get that thought out of your head. Cheer up. Our God is a God of second chances. He still has a will for your life. And you can still line yours up with the one he has. Because which one do you think is the better plan? God. And it's, you're here and it's not too late. And that's why you're hearing this message today. Just like I'm hearing it for myself. Some may saw that, say that Paul, well, you know, Paul didn't have a choice because the risen Lord appeared to him and zam, whap, bam, no choice. But you know what? That's not true. Yes, Jesus, the risen Lord appeared to Paul and that is very persuasive, but God is not a bully. That's why he gave people free will. We remind ourselves, yeah, Paul saw Jesus, but Adam saw God. Adam walked in the garden. God gave Adam free will. And Adam did what he wanted to do. And that didn't turn out so well. Enter Jesus' special mission. Right? Jesus is going to line his will up with the Father. And that, that mistake's not happening two times. Right? But Paul had a choice to make. And he's going to do as good. He had to chuck his career, lay aside any thought he had, and embrace the one that God had for his life. In Galatians 1, 13 and 14, Paul gave um, his, his background. But then he said, after he met Christ, he said, I didn't talk to another human being. That's what he said. He said, I didn't go down to Jerusalem. I didn't consult with people. This is God's will. I got to find from God what his will is for me. So he said he went to the desert of Arabia. And you know, sometimes we need to find our own Arabia and get with God, just us and the Lord, and just lay your will on the altar right in front of him and say, your will be done. And that, I believe, is what Paul did in the desert. And that's a model, a wonderful model for us to follow today. There's a, um, a website that you can go to if you're preparing sermons and it gives you illustrations. And I went to one here and uh, I didn't really find what I call an illustration, but I found a quote. It was on sermonary.com. And it sums things up perfectly. This quote says, We cannot uh, pursue God, both God's will and our own independent will. Like Jesus, we have to empty ourselves of one in order to fully embrace the other. That is so good. When our hearts are fully surrendered 
and trusting in God, our will and desire align with God's and our joy will be made full. Isn't that good? Yes, I think that's a, that's a wonderful quote. Now I'm going to ask you, even though I clicked and moved over to service, I, I, I want you to, um, to be with me just a little bit more as I uh, explain that relationship again. Surrender, service, and sacrifice, kind of blurry, but I hope we laid a good foundation why surrender has to come first. We have to reflect God's image in us or we're not going to be able to serve. And so that's why it's postured first. And with that in mind, I think surrender comes first because it's tied most closely to the first and greatest commandment. You know it as well as I do. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all the mind, and all your soul, your whole will aligned to God. And the second commandment is like to the first. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's where service comes in. That's why serving others follows surrender. And it says here in verse 7, Jesus emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. When Jesus walked on this earth, he never stopped serving others. It didn't matter if they were lepers. It didn't matter if they were legionnaires. It didn't matter if they were disenfranchised and put out on the edge or they were firmly rooted deep in the establishment. Jesus connected everywhere and he never stopped serving people, no matter their station in life, no matter their circumstances, no matter their age, race, anything, nothing stopped Jesus from serving people. In the Gospels, he's found feeding, healing, teaching, defending, and raising the dead. Even amid crowds that thronged around him constantly, he always found a way to wedge out time to reconnect his will to the Father. He goes off in the morning and prays everyone's asleep, right? But then he does something else that's even uh, marvelous. He connects on a personal and individual level with the people around him, even while the throngs of crowds are around him. He feeds a crowd of thousands, but he'll walk over and feed the spirit of the one. He never stopped. I think we could say it's safe to say that Jesus didn't schedule a lot of downtime on his calendar, right? He didn't schedule downtime. We too, like Jesus, are to make it our business to serve others. In our main text here, Paul said that, that from this morning earlier, Paul says, we should consider others better than ourselves. You catch that in uh, the early part of our, of our master text? But we're only fit to serve when we are fully surrendered to God. In last week's message, I quoted from Jeremiah. It said that the human heart is deceitful above all things. And so a heart that's not fully surrendered to God, it's possible to be serving with the wrong motives. We want to serve with God's motives. God looks at the heart and the motive along with the activity. Right? 
If we don't give with a God motive, then what kind of motive are we giving with? A human motive. And most likely, a selfish motive. The Lord is attentive in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Amen. Paul's self-designation is doulos Jesus Christos. That's what Paul said about himself. Servant of Jesus Christ. Wasn't that somebody, you know, Paul, he had a business card, Sanhedrin. Now what's he got on his business card? A brand new one. Hi, I'm Paul. Here, servant of Jesus Christ at your service. That's his new career. And, I, and please don't take that word Career. I mean, I want to redefine career, not box in Paul's life by the word, radically redefine the word. Paul made it his life uh, journey to do. It's his purpose, absolutely. Paul had a servant's heart like no other. I can tell you this, in reading in Acts chapter 20, what we find of Paul here is he's reinforcing, he's going to see the Ephesian church for the last time, and he's reinforcing the model of servant leadership before he goes. He may never see them again. He, for all he knows, he, he may be executed. So he takes them and he says, and he reminds them, servant leader... You yourselves know that these hands of mine, he said, these hands of mine have ministered to my own needs and those of my companions. In everything I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is better to give than to receive. And again, um, he's pastoring the flock. We see often... A pastor, a big part of the pastor's job is to beat the wolf off with the staff. And the wolves were coming into Colossae, and the wolves were coming into Galatia, and Paul, ever the good shepherd, defended his flock and was always contending with the wolves. He had a servant's heart. And it's worth pausing here to thank the Lord because in reading these passages about a servant's heart, I see a reflection of our own pastors, Andy and Donna. And they're not here today. Um, but hopefully they'll hear the recording. In holding the, this Bible open, I see their reflections. And true to the name, this is a blessed life fellowship because they pour themselves out for this congregation. And they need as much help as they can muster from us because they labor and pour out everything on our behalf. And I just think it's appropriate to give the Lord and our pastors a hand clap. It's a wonder, this is a wonderful congregation that they've, that they've been obedient to the Lord and, and is being rewarded in that regard. Serving is the heart of the golden rule. It's better to give than to receive. 
And serving others is also the outworking of the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. World-renowned evangelist, dearly beloved, tireless servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Billy Graham, had this to say about service. The highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless. Isn't that good? To have the mind of Christ is to have the heart of a servant. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Do you remember that? Yeah, a lot of you connecting with that. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Do you remember the, the next part? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Service leads to sacrifice. And so that's the progression that we talked about in the beginning. So as service is leading us to sacrifice, we see here that Jesus, the one that provided the sacrifice in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death. And then a dash, even death on a cross. So that's, that's accentuating the way or the form in which Jesus died. You know, death is a result of the curse of sin. By the sweat of your brow, will you, um, will you have food to eat? Sorry, getting a little dry here. By the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? You know, in that regard, we're all obedient to death. There's no other way, right? But Jesus' death is different. First of all, Jesus is above the, the curse. He didn't have to die at all. He volunteered to do that. So that's first. He's sinless above the curse. Jesus didn't die just any death. He died a death on the cross. As a pre-incarnate son of God, Jesus knew from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth, thank you, thank you so much, from the foundations of the earth, that it was his mission. The cross was Jesus' set goal from before he was born and put placed in the manger in Bethlehem. And once he was placed there and began his life and journey as a human being, the weight of the cross was growing upon him. Somewhere there was a tree that was cut down. Somewhere they were hewing the logs off of it that would make the beams as Jesus grew to a teenager and then a man. And the cross was being formed back there and in his psyche, in his mind, he, he bore that cross every living day of his life until he and the cross made their intersection together. I can't, 
I don't have the words. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, Jesus said, it was now, or John said about Jesus, John 13, 1, it was now just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Jesus didn't let that weight of the cross stop him from being a real human being to hurting, needy human beings. He knew what lay ahead, but he, he did the work and the service of God and the will of God to love people. And he did it until his last breath. The gospel writers from that point, they invite us in very closely with Jesus at Gethsemane, where the weight of the hour was so upon him that he sweat drops of blood. That's how intense the weight of the cross. Before he was ever there, that intensity was so much that he sweat drops of blood. And then he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Whereas <clears throat> surrender speaks to the will, service speaks to time and material. Sacrifice adds the element of risk to your own physical well-being, even unto death. That's why Jesus, before he made it in Mark chapter 8, he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. But you can take that to the bank all day long. What, what a safety net. You know, we see acrobats risk their flesh on the tightrope, right? And on a trapeze. And the really good ones, they don't even have a safety net. But Jesus gives us the safety net. There's no way. I mean, if you fall off, boom, I got you. Right? And in the meantime, look what you're doing. You go, you go, you go. I can hear him cheering for us the whole way. We've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Our cross represents our like-mindedness with Jesus to follow him, no matter the cost, even unto the death. What about Paul? Paul followed Jesus so closely, he said, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. And Paul was no stranger to sacrifice. So once again, we hear him, follow me. Just a few verses down from our master text, Paul says, he compares his ministry, he says it's a drink offering that's being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of service of your faith. 
In this regard, we might say that little by little, piece by piece, Paul was being crucified one day at a time. And I think we'll find that's true of all the servants of the gospel. Little by little, day by day, being crucified one day at a time. I know Paul would agree because Paul said uh, of himself in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified. He's already counted it as a done deal. I have been crucified and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the real telling of Paul's um, willingness to give every pound of his flesh for the gospel is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 through 29. And I think you all know this is very familiar. Sacrifice, the willing to risk your physical well-being for the sake of the gospel. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. In my frequent journeys, I have been in danger from rivers and from bandits, in danger from my countrymen and from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger on the sea and among false brothers, in labor and toil and often without sleep, in hunger and thirst and even without food, in cold and exposure. I don't know about you, but it's not much of that's ever happened to me. So I've got to ask myself, would I wade through this to save somebody else? We think, we want to think the best of ourselves, don't we? But I think we need to spend time in Arabia. At least that's what I think about me. That's where I need to be. I need to think about it. And you know, humanly, without God, I just don't see it possible. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was fully surrendered to the Lord. Paul had his mind completely made up. And now, for the rest of the story. Philippians 2, 9-11. through You didn't think I was going to leave you hanging like that, did you? Oh, okay. So good. Well, Paul didn't leave us hanging like that either. It says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Service, surrender, service, and sacrifice form the pavement on the road to glory. So, in order for us to do this in the natural, impossible, I'm sure. Paul could not have endured all that in the natural. But attuned to God, he could do how many things that God called him to do? Some of them. All things, Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things. But we, the Hebrews writer gives us something that just works its way in here so well. We need to keep our eye on the road to glory, keep our eye on the final destination. In Hebrews chapter 12, those beloved verses, let us fix our eyes 
on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Praise God. So what, what about Paul? Well, for Paul to live as Christ and to die is glory. Keep your eye on the final destination. And also, Paul, who says he's pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. So even as Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, we see that Paul had his mind set on more surrender and sacrifice and service. It was just like Jesus who loved them to the end. Paul loved Jesus to the end and was faithful to him to the end. Lord God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to speak your word. And I pray, Lord, that your name is glorified through it. In Jesus' name. So it's time for reflection. And as I do this, I'm going to give a little reflection here. Is Tammy here? Oh, there she is. Sorry, Tammy, it's, it's hard to see with the, with the glove. Tammy's provided a gift of service to me, which, I, which I'm very happy about. And that is her photography. So you'll notice on my title slide and now this ending slide, and I know she didn't want me to mention, but I'm doing it anyway because I, I felt led to mention it. But thank you so much. You're very talented. These are beautiful, and they, they enrich the presentation of the lesson. So thank you, Tammy. Yes. In reflection, uh, you know, we take this message with us. We can ask ourselves, what way have I or could I surrender my will to the Father's will? How am I or can I engage in Christian service? And Pam just gave, wow, talk about a wonderful opportunity to get plugged in and do something for the kingdom. There's a great opportunity right here that's just laying right in front of all of us. And then finally, where have I or would I draw the line in sacrificing myself for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so with those reflections, I've concluded and I'm going to turn it back over to you, Pam, if you would, to uh, close us out.